Amen. You may be seated. And uh, let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. First Gospel, book of Matthew, chapter 6. You know, I love to always uh, honor our veterans. Uh, we can't honor them enough. We, uh, we have a Navy SEAL in our church. He, he told me one time he can't come to these type things. It's too emotional for him. Uh, George Guthrie, you know, who served in Vietnam. Um, this is real emotional for, for them. and It's emotional for me because I've read about it. I've read the stories. I heard about a little boy one time in the, on Veterans Day in their church. They had a picture of the people in their church who had died in the service. And he was looking at it there, and somebody came by and said, he asked them, or he said, what is this up here? And they said, well, these are the people that died in the service. And he said, which one, the 9.30 or the 11 o'clock service? <laughs> he, was, he just got a little mixed up on Veterans Day. Matthew chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, and they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's always been a puzzling statement to me. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites when they, they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, and that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, uh, pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard. Uh, for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Leaf over to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But we, you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I'd like to talk to you this morning about gaining a full reward. Gaining a full reward. The scripture says, and you know it well in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Uh, there's going to be a great reward for people. Second John chapter 1, verse 8 talks about having a full reward. Uh, God wants us not to have a partial reward, a part of the reward. He wants us to have all of the reward. And so here he talks about three of the most important things uh, in religious life at that time. Um, it was uh, giving, it was praying, and it was fasting. And he introduces the whole thing by, by 
causing people to look at somebody who is a hypocrite. And I know that in our church, many of you people have met hypocrites through your life, haven't you? How many people have run into one or two? Raise your hand, okay. Yes. First of all, we have the giving hypocrite. And uh, that's what he talks about right here. Verse 2, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet. Uh, before you as the hypocrites do. He picks out a hypocrite and he says, I don't want you to be like that. Uh, this hypocrite was doing the right thing, but he was doing it the wrong way. And in the Bible, God doesn't reward us for doing the right thing necessarily. He rewards us for doing the right thing in the right way, with the right motive in mind. And so... Uh, we have a way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 15, we have this command, this command from the Lord. Let's read it, okay? Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites indeed. Uh, for as long as there has been time, there has been people who needed a, a lift up, people who are poor. And so we have the command to give to the poor. And Jesus says there are these hypocrites, and whenever they give to the poor, they sound a trumpet. And so Jesus is saying here in verse number two, no trumpets, please, okay? Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't announce or publicize you're giving to the poor. Because if you do, what you do is you, you trade God's reward for man's reward. Now, man's reward is, uh, is something that is uh, very fleeting, isn't it? Some of you have been applauded by people that you work, and then sometime very soon after that, you have uh, been less than applauded by people at work. Uh, God's reward is completely different. And so if you are serving the Lord to be seen by men, you'll get a reward. But it'll be from the wrong person. It'll be from your peers around you, your friends. And that reward is very little and very slight and very fickle. You trade God's reward for the world's reward. Uh, hypocrites give to be, uh, to be seen. They uh, choose conspicuous places like synagogues and street corners to gain glory for men. Uh, Jesus says here, listen, when you do your charitable deed, I don't want you to let your left hand uh, know what your right hand is doing and vice versa. And what that means is he describes it in the next verse. He says, I want you to give in secret. Now, I've read many commentaries on this passage of Scripture. Uh, one commentator says that what that means is uh, uh, that your giving should be hidden even from ourselves. And in a sense, that's what happens in church. When we put our money in the offering and when we give to Christmas missions, uh, you don't know what's happening on the under, other end of the line, and they don't even know on the other end of the line what you've done for them. You've given in secret, really. Uh, it's a good thing to do that. Because whenever you give face-to-face, -face, it's, uh, it's so natural to get the applause from somebody that you're giving to. Uh, that's why it's good to have a church 
uh, that goes over the list and says, listen, these are all credible people to, to give to. You just put your money in there. We'll get it on to them. And when they get it, this is what happens. When they get it, God gets the glory and we don't. Uh, many of the people on the list that we have for Christmas, they don't even know that we're, that we're trying to raise some money for them. And so they're out there in the foreign field and they're praying, oh Lord, send us our need, send us our need. And all of a sudden, around the end of January, this check comes in the mail and it's just out of the blue and who gets the credit? They get down on their knees and they thank God, right? And so uh, that's one way that we think we can do that. One translation says, give so not even your closest friend will know about it. Oftentimes we tell our closest friends about everything. Hey, I did this, I gave this. Uh, just keep it as secret as you can. Uh, Jesus' words don't forbid uh, record keeping or receiving or reporting procedures. And we try to do a very good job here at our church. And I've told you before that uh, our books are audited carefully. Our financial procedures, we believe, are the best uh, available today. And we strive uh, to take care of our funds. And I was visiting a young couple in the church the other, other day, and, and I said to them, listen, I don't know what people in our church give. And the lady, I thought she was going to fall off her chair. She said, well, when in a, my previous church, we used to get letters from the church saying we didn't give enough money. Uh, well, I said, you'll never get one from this church saying that. Well, you may get one from this church saying to give a little, but you'll never get a letter to say you're not giving enough money. Uh, we just don't do those things. I don't know what anybody gives in this church. I don't even know what I give until it's time to do my taxes. My wife is the treasurer, and she does a pretty good job. Uh, we try to keep it a secret as we can. Uh, there are just a few people in our church that handle the money, and they're sworn to secrecy. And if they, if they don't uh, abide by that, they'll get hurt. We'll, we'll get one of our Marines against them, and it'll, we'll, they'll, they'll never do it again, I'll tell you that. Uh, Matthew 5.16 now th th these, these words here of giving in secret uh, do not uh, discount what we talked about last week remember let's read it let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven now there's sometimes when we give that we can't give in secret we have to give it's, it's a public thing and a lot of our giving is public and, and I, I guess it fits right in here to this verse uh, I want you to, people to see your good works, but I want you, the people, to give glory to God. And that's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. Uh, public, uh, public giving was prominent in the Bible. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, they laid their offerings at the apostles' feet. The, the thing I think that is critical here in this passage of Scripture is the motive of giving. These hypocrites were giving for the wrong purpose. They were giving to have somebody applaud. They were giving to feel good. You know, giving does make you feel good. It really does. But uh, Christians are not supposed to give to feel good. They're supposed to give to God because it's right to give. Now, if we give with the wrong motives, we rob ourselves of the reward and God of the glory. We get the glory instead of God. Well, our motive should be because we love God and are spending the rest of our life telling him and proving to him that we love him for what he's done for us on the cross. That's the motive. We, we come to church and we come to church through the years. We come in the spring and we come in the summer and we come in the fall and we come in the winter and we do it all again next year and we do it 
We hope we do it because we're trying to show to God that we truly love him for what he did on the cross for us. And we're not going to stop doing it because we have a debt to pay that cannot be paid. And so uh, when we give, Jesus says, listen, just do it as secret as you can. Don't look for any glory in it. And then he goes on to praying, and the, the same thing is true there. Verse number five, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrite, for they love to pray. Now, I found out that the word pray there in the original language means pray for themselves. Their prayer was for themselves. They weren't really doing it for God. They were doing it for them. Standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men, they have their reward. But you pray when you go into your room and when you shut the door, pray to your Father. Jesus is saying here, no street corners, please. Don't go out, don't get in the spotlight and pray. Um, you know, I think it was important. They did have a place to pray and a time to pray, and I think that's important. Our prayer life needs to be organized. It really does. Like our Bible reading time needs to be organized. Our prayer life. Psalm 55, 17 says this. Let's read it. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. This was their pattern. They prayed three times a day, 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we have an illustration of that. Let's read it. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Uh, it was time for the prayer service, and so they, they went. It's good to have a time of prayer. It's good to say, listen, the first thing in the morning, that's what I do, I pray. The last thing at night before I go to bed, that's what I do, I pray. Uh, I was out uh, with one of the families of the church the other night, and we were in a little restaurant not too far from here, and, and my cell phone went off. I put it on buzz, you know, but buzz is as loud as anything. You know, it scares everybody to death, even on buzz. And so it was going off, and I was looking for it, and I was trying to find it. And uh, the person says, oh, that's your prayer alarm. Because I told him, I said, at 8 o'clock, my prayer alarm goes off. It's time to pray. Uh, I also have it set for 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Also, when it goes off, it's time to pray. You know, I just figure it this way. If the Jews in ancient time prayed three times a day, at least I can do that and more. At least I can do that. Uh, Jesus says, listen, when you pray, I want you to, uh, go, I want you to go into, your, into a room and close the door. I want you to find a private place. Uh, I love the thought of this. You know, you can't perform in a private place. You know that? There's nobody there to see you but God. And so that's where you can get real honest with God in a private place. Now, I found out this, that the word room here meant a room where treasure is kept. A private room in a home where treasure is kept. And so if we put that meaning in this passage of scripture, it means this. Go find a private room and pray and you'll discover the treasure in that room. There are treasures in that room. And you know, for those of you who have a private place, a little room, a big room where you can close the door and meet with God, uh, you, you are a living testament to the fact that there are treasures there in that room. That's the treasure house when you meet with God. Well, go in the room and close the door. You can't perform in there. 
Uh, this was the pattern of Jesus. You know, he went to, uh, uh, the Bible says in Mark 1.35. Do we have that? Let's read this. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Uh, I think, uh, I hope that if you go home today and you don't have a, a room that you've said, this is my prayer chamber, uh, that you say, okay, this is it. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to close the door. Me and God are going to talk together in that room. Uh, I told you before my little story in, in the old translation. It says, go into the closet. When I was a kid, the preacher said, go into the closet and pray. And so I went home and I did. I went into the closet and uh, it was a, my mother's Hoover vacuum cleaner was in there. It really stunk. And, and, I, and I, didn't I was afraid to close the closet door because I heard about people who suffocated in closets. And so I had a little crack there in the closet. And I, I was crouched in there among all this junk in the closet. And I thought, this is not a very comfortable place to pray. But I found out later that just means a room, not, not your mother's closet with her hoover in there. And close the door. You know, uh, we know that there are all kinds of places we can pray. We can pray, pray driving. And I think it's important to play, pray while you drive. You should pray for other people while you drive. The older you get, well, you need to pray more when you drive. Preparing for a test, taking a test, we always pray. I got an email just two days ago from a, a, couple, a couple in our church. They took this big test. And, and on the email, the guy said, I prayed over every answer, and thank God I passed the test. Uh, we pray over our tests. All of us have prayed at the airport at the luggage carousel, right? Man, I really plead with God when that thing's going around. Uh, we, everybody pr prays in the foxhole anytime, anywhere we can pray. The Bible says don't use vain repetitions. And that simply means don't speak without thinking. And you say, well, I do that all the time. Well, don't do it when you pray. And then he says, use this model. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. It's really the model's prayer. And uh, here it is. Let's read it together, okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, the Lord says, listen, I want you to use this as a model. And, uh, and, and we surely do. The, the interesting thing about this prayer is it begins with the needs of God. God that God's name would be honored and and would be holy and would be lifted up in our life. I love Matthew 6.33, and I hope you learn to love it too. If you don't have a life verse, why don't you choose this one for the rest of your life? Let's read it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. If you make that verse your life verse, and you live your life by that verse, I'll tell you what, you're going to have a life that's rich, that's full. Uh, and so in the Lord's Prayer, it starts out with our Father. We're a part of God's worldwide family of believers, aren't we? You know, the missionary message is so refreshing when 
remember several weeks ago we had this young couple here in the church that they're going to Indonesia. Uh, and in those lands they have many different gods. And uh, those gods are all fearful gods. They are always trying to appease their wrath. They're trying to make sacrifices to them so those gods don't hurt them. And Jesus said, listen, when you take my message into the world, I want you to take this model prayer, and I want you to teach people there to pray, and starts with our Father. It's quite a different idea than some God who is mad and angry and has to be appeased all the time. Uh, that's the image that we have is our Father. Uh, let God's name be held holy in our life. Um, you've probably read some of the writings of the Jews. They don't even write the word God. It's so holy. They don't write the word, name God. Sometimes they'll write G and put a, a little line there. They don't pronounce the name of God. It's so holy to them. Exodus 20, verse 7, do we have? Let's read that. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that simply means using the Lord's name uh, in less than a holy way. Sometimes something happens and we say, oh, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. It's bringing, it down, bringing his name down to our level. Reverence and awe for God's name is important. You are holy, the Bible says, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Uh, the prayer goes on and uh, it talks about God's kingdom and God's will. Then the last thing he talks about is the fasting hypocrite. And this is kind of interesting to me because fasting, of course, was important back in those days. Jesus fasted. The early church fasted. I was in a class at Liberty University a few years ago, and Elmer Towns, one of the professors there, one of the associates of Jerry Falwell, that actually started that school with Jerry, uh, said that when he fasts, what's he what he does is he takes the money that he saves from eating and saves it and gives it to the poor. And he said he had a few families in Thomas Road Baptist Church that every now and then he would collect a, an amount of money and he would go to them and he would say, listen, this money is for you. This is the money that I have saved by fasting and not, not spending money on food. Uh, fasting was important. It heightens our awareness. But uh, they were doing it for the wrong purpose and the wrong motive. Uh, Jesus said, if you serve me with the right motive, you're going to be rewarded and, you know, we get a little confused about rewards, but, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, there's so many times it's mentioned in the Bible. And not only are we rewarded in this life, but we are rewarded, of course, in the life to come, here and there. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Let's read this together. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important, for it promises a reward in both this life and the next. I'm quoting Jerry a lot this morning. I don't know why. I think it's my long-term memory. He used to say on the radio, if there, if there was no heaven and there was no hell, I'd rather be a Christian than anything this world has to offer. Uh, I'll tell you what it pays to serve Christ. It really does. Uh, we have rewards in this life. 
that's what the Bible says right here. In this life and the life to come. Uh, there are too many, too many things to list. One of which is satisfaction. You know, when we have the Lord in our heart, uh, we can be satisfied. Uh, the world is never satisfied. There's always a quest for something more. But when you have Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Colossians, we are complete in him. If we don't get any other thing in life ever again and we have Christ, we are full and we are satisfied. Amen? Uh, we have a clear conscience. We have God's presence. That's our reward in this life. And then, of course, we're rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. And since our time has gone this morning, we'll have to take a peek at that later. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Jesus says, listen, all of these things are good. Giving to the poor, that's good. Uh, praying, that's good. Fasting, that's good. Do it with the right motive. Not because you want someone to pat you on the back, but because you love Jesus with all your heart. And you're going to spend the rest of your life showing him, proving to him that you really do love him. Dear Lord, as we have our invitation, I pray now that you will bless us. Uh, pour down your spirit upon us. Uh, apply these lessons that we've learned this morning to each heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.